0: fabulous with vips and vicky the think shift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders those who not only succeed but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world welcome to the be fabulous podcast this is the beginning of a brand new series we're going to be doing which is imagine a reinvented world and uh i have one of my friends and a really, really big thinker joining me for this series, his name's Sean Beard. You're gonna learn more about about him as he introduces himself shortly. And uh, in this series, the idea is we're gonna take an idea, a crazy idea, and just say, just imagine if, imagine if. And so today's topic, before I let uh, Sean introduce himself, is imagine a world without garbage. Is that possible?
1: Over to you, Sean. How you doing? Uh, doing well, thanks, Vips. Um, so. My name is Sean Beard. I am a vice president. as a day job, I guess. I'm a vice president with Pari Veda Solutions, and I help run or lead a group called Emerging Technology. And so part of a uh, little part of my day job is to try to look into the future, determine where technology is going, and how we can guide our clients into that future um, and have them really be able to leverage and take advantage of what's coming. And so what about the, what about the real job after that then? The one we're here to Oh, well, yeah. So uh, one, one of the things that I love is um, trying to think about, you know, like like Vip said, trying to make the world a better place. And <clears throat> the idea I had about A World Without Garbage actually initially came to me when I was with my uh, daughter at the dollar store. This was pre-COVID lockdown, and this was actually around Halloween last year, where I went to the dollar store and realized that what was once kind of an overflow for extra stock that stores wanted to get rid of that there's now specific dollar store packaging and specific things that that's being done to market directly towards the dollar store and and admittedly all that I could go all that went through my head was it seems like that's a lot of waste. So you mean um, like
0: the packaging and the the, the right. around the products that are in dollar stores is that basically what you
1: mean? Correct. Okay. Right. It, yeah. It's not just an overflow of what, what, what was in the other stores that they want to get rid of. Now it's a specific market segment that's being manufactured for, which is wow. that dollar store market. So, and, and those, and, it, and I just started thinking, okay, so now we've got all the extra that was there before, because that's just gotten worse as, as population goes up. Um, then we've got this other waste that's coming in from all of the things directly for the dollar store. And, and so I started thinking about, okay, where does all that waste really go? And I know that we have recycling and I know that we have all of these things, these mechanisms that are in place that have been in place since I was in school, you know, they really came into seventies and eighties when recycling started becoming a little bit more popular. And, and I live in Seattle so I know that there's a whole lot of rules I have to follow on how I deal with my waste even today. Um, but I started thinking about how practical is all of that, and, and is it really something? I mean, the rules that we have for what's recycling versus compost, they change every year. And there's a lot of them, and I guarantee you we don't get them all right. So, it's, uh, so I started thinking about sort of rethinking garbage in general and, and how we think about it. And that's kind of where the idea, that's kind of where this idea came from. So what is the idea in a nutshell? Give us some stats. So
0: give us some statistics around why, I mean, i got no idea. How much, how
1: much garbage are we producing? Um, I don't have an exact number, but but, but one of the things that, that I love to talk about is razor blades. I think about razor blades and just thinking about something, you know, because again, you I'm part mean like part razor blades of, that you shave with? That you shave with. Okay, right. all right. As opposed to utility box cutters and things like that. Right. Yeah. If we just think about the 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 razor blades that we shave with. And and I thought about this again because I'm a I'm a member of the Gillette Shave Club. And so every quarter they'll send me some new razor blades. And I looked at the razor blades and I thought, hmm. There's no real recycling program for razor blades. Um, so what what and so I looked up those numbers and and basically we throw in the United States we throw about 2 billion razor blades into landfills every year. 2 billion. 2 billion. And that wow. translates into about 1 million pounds of steel. And that's US alone. That's US alone. Every year. So thinking about so <laughs> what things like that does is it starts making me think what all is in landfill? How much, if we can throw a million Medium pounds, pounds of, of steel steel a year into the landfills just in the United States, what else? You know, and you start thinking about how much electronics have gone into landfills, how yeah. much copper, how much of these precious metals that that are popped, that are have to be put into all of our cell phones that we upgrade every year or every other year. How much of those precious metals actually are living in the landfills? How much of all of these materials that we use regularly are winding up in the landfills, And, and so that, that just kind of like, and Vips, you know, me, it's like, that just sends my, I'm I sends my brain on a journey on a path. Cause I still keep trying to pull that thread and figuring out, okay, so if we're, if we're throwing all that stuff into the landfills, then let's, where, where does all the materials start? They come from. So if I think about, Metals. Well, metals are, are typically mined it's as horrible as it is. They're strip mined. And then you think about just the environmental impacts of a mining operation to like, just talk about the razor blades to generate or to get the iron ore out of the ground and then go through the, the, the heating process to melt that ore down, to get rid of the impurities, to add the carbon, to harden it as steel what is the overall environmental impact in terms of energy and pollution and destruction of the green space? And, you know, and there's an and that you can keep doing when you think about these things. And starting to think about it, is there, is, is there a better way? Is there a different way? Is there something we're missing? And, and a realization I had not too long ago was, if I think about waste management, our, our process hasn't really changed in 10,000 years. It's, we Say more, say more. So, so whenever we want something, whenever we want something, and we want stuff, and I, can, I and, and it's this thing that I, I thought about a while back, and I call it the stuff cycle, where it's, it's this interesting irony where whenever we want something, we need to manufacture something. We need to go dig a hole in the earth and get the things out of it that we need. And in a lot of cases, these are our metals and things like that, where we'll get all the stuff that we need. And then... Um, and then whenever we're done with it, we're ready to throw it away. We dig another hole and we throw it into the earth. And so that they become our landfills. And even if you look at things that are 5,000 years old, today we call them archaeological digs. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you can go find all the broken pottery and all the things that were just a trash dump that we're now digging through to understand how people in that city lived. But at the end of the day, it's the same process we we get the clay, we, we mold it, we make the ceramics, and then when we're done with it or if it gets broken, then we just throw it into the landfill and we throw it back into a hole in earth. Mm. That, that was kind of that stuff cycle yeah. where yeah. it's constant. And then I started thinking about, okay, so if we have all these things over, you know, if I just think about in the industrial era, so we're talking maybe since the late 1800s in the United States, of all the things that we have manufactured and thrown into landfills, is it possible, and this is the question, is it possible that we have enough sitting in those landfills that we don't need to go back into the earth to get any more? We just need to start thinking about a better management of what we already have. And that's where I start thinking about that world with, with no garbage, of how can we actually do that? And it becomes a management of what of our how we manage our waste and actually disrupting that process and changing waste management to actually make better use of the materials that we've already retrieved from the earth and just truly recycling them into something that's usable.
0: So we're gonna get into a couple of, you know, what I describe as some of the Sean's wonderful ideas around what we can do with that. But I just thought, you know, I wanted to just bring this home with a few like, uh, you know, just just a little bit of Googling around. You know, the average American tosses 4.4 pounds of trash every single day, 4.4 pounds every day. Um, With about 323.7 million people living in the US, that's roughly 728 tons, sorry, 728,000 tons of daily garbage, which is enough to fill 63,000 garbage trucks that are ultimately going into landfill. That's 22 billion <laughs> plastic bottles every year. I'm laughing because the numbers are so massive and it's, it's actually giving me hot palpitations thinking about it. Um, you know, that's, you know we, 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 we throw away enough office paper to construct a 12 foot high wall from Los Angeles to Manhattan. Um, and it's th- you know 300 laps around the equator in paper and plastic cups, forks and spoons. Um, so, you know, it is a lot. Appro- approximately half of the 254 million tons of yearly waste will meet its fate in one of, say, one of the 2,000 active landfills across the country, and that's the U.S. alone. And that, uh, thank you for the uh, uh, American landfills and waste production stats on SaveOnEnergy.com for those uh, for those stats. Um, but it is quite extraordinary when you think about those numbers. And I guess 4.4 pounds, I mean, we're all contributing to it all the time, every day. Sobering.
1: It, it, it really is. And, and again, that's where I think back to our waste management processes, again, haven't changed. Ever. I mean, I, I think 10,000 years is long enough to say ever. Um, and so I think, and so it's time to start thinking about it differently. Even, even the way we treat things or we, we have our mental models of what, these, what they are, How we deal with trash is very different than how we think about recycling or composting or things like that. And, and I think part of the thing is because we've separated them, we've, we've made it harder on ourselves because of all the rules. So, so one of the things that was really disheartening, and I believe this happened last year was countries in Asia used to buy our plastic waste and our recycling, our plastic recycling and they have since stopped doing that because of contamination. Um, Part of the problem with recycling and, and, you know, we could probably a whole other topic is why altruism, um, why it has to make money in order to be viable. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of money in recycling and the margins are really thin. So whenever we're sending them plastics that are contaminated, the actual human labor costs start exceeding what they can actually get out of recycling it. So they're like, well, we're not going to do it anymore because it's not cost effective for us to buy us um, plastics so today whenever you're even throwing your plastics into the recycle bin they're landing in they're going to a landfill right now because there's nobody there to buy them that's pretty
0: sorry sean that's pretty can you say that again um is that is that must be some proportion that's ended up being recycled though or are you saying all the plastic that's been contaminated
1: not not all, but like, if you think about things like your plastic, like the example I've, I've given to people is if you think about, you know, again, you know, you're sitting at a conference or a meeting, or you're at a meeting in a hotel, um, you get those really thin, single use plastic water bottles that are there. And throughout the course of the meeting, you know, you drink the water, and that's fine. But then, you know, as a fidget, you kind of peel the label off, and you tie it really tight, so it looks like a straw, and then you drop it right into right? That bottle is now contaminated and requires a person to go pull that paper out in order to make it a recyclable again, right? So and that that that's an extreme example, but it's not all plastics are going to make it there because some can definitely be recycled. And, and when we start talking about things like energy companies have very large recycling programs that actually will bring plastics back in and take them in and give them more industrial, um, giving them industrial uses and things like that. But a lot of what consumer waste that we throw into our recycling is going to wind up in a landfill because nobody's, nobody is buying that plastic
0: from us and nobody's
1: buying those, that garbage from us. That's pretty damning, right? Of all of our recycling programs. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it I think is, is again, like I said, it's not profitable to, to, and these are private businesses. And a lot of these businesses do rely on, um, government subsidies to stay afloat and things like that. Um, you know, which again, the irony that goes through this whole space is just there. It's something that we, and there's a large group of us that feel is so important, but yet in order to stay afloat, the government has to pay them to to stay in business. And so, um, it also, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of damning of things that we could look into when we really think of when we get down to it, but it's, but and then we look at the technology the technology isn't as advanced as it could be um I, i've gone on a tour of a recycling facility here in seattle and they're doing you know i mean the machines are doing what they can but I, I wouldn't call it a place where machine learning is going to have a place anytime in the near future right where you could actually start doing a lot of a lot of a lot better sorting and things like that um so with, so with those
0: plastic so okay so you know I, I know you're a big ideas guy so what do we do with this like so I mean we've I think we've framed the scale of the challenge and um, I mean we've got all sorts of dynamics here we've got government you've got government regulations you've got uh, policies you've got the, um, uh, the 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 challenges of deploying technology where it should be maybe mm-hmm. but ultimately against the backdrop of its it, i guess it seems like it's quite hard to make money from dealing with trash so we just create more of it
1: yes and and we run into a big and we run into a big problem um and it's you know it, it really starts to be this problem of energy so if i think about If I think about, you know, like there was, I was in, I was in Alaska. I I was fortunate enough to take a trip to Fairbanks, Alaska, and they have a hot springs uh, thermal area right outside of Fairbanks Mm -hmm. that my wife and I went to. And what we, what they had there is this, it's really this interesting place where they're using the thermal hot springs for all of their energy. And they also designed a machine that could sit on a desktop, which could take those single use plastic bottles and turn them back into petroleum. Seriously, which was really fascinating. Yes,
0: that, that's and like you that thing from it a plastic uh, Back bottle. to the Future,
1: right? Almost, it's getting there. <laughs> Mr. Fusion. Getting there. I think on the back of the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that's really important because a lot of plastic is is all petroleum based. Because when I look at plastics, I see a lot. I see a a vault, if you will, for 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 oil and things that. And if we can get that back. If we can get that oil back it can then be reused for any number of things including going back into more plastics if you wanted to but the problem we run into is that whenever we created these materials it's what i what i've called the negative energy problem is that and this is why it becomes hard to make a profit off of recycling is because in a lot of ways recycling requires that you put more energy into it than what you're going to get back out of it right so that's definitely the case with plastic that's why most recycling facilities focus on paper and aluminum because that's a profitable sector because the amount of energy you put in is less than what you'll get out of it. But we have to, and that's where we start running into these um, problems with how do we solve the negative energy problem? And and that's where we get into like this concept of, where you have systems of systems at play, right? Where green tech is a big space. And so, you know, we can start looking at, where okay, where are we going to get this energy from? And so we can start looking at well, we've got a lot of wind and solar, and and I somebody would have to fact check uh, Elon Musk on this one, but he was claiming that by the end of twenty, I believe it was by the end of twenty twenty, that more than fifty percent of energy generation in the United States will be from non petrochemical sources meaning it's all going to be solar or wind or hydro like is that all renewable basically correct yeah correct and so but what we're also running into that tesla's trying to solve is the is the battery density problem of how do we store all that energy and you could look at australia and they're trying to do a lot and they've got these massive battery complexes in australia trying to store all the energy that they're that they're able to generate and so Cause a lot of what happens with these solar farms or, um, or wind farms, they either, they have to keep like with the windmills. They only can run a few of them because they need to, they don't have any way to actually store the energy. Yeah. So if they generate a lot, then it just dissipates and we lose it. Um, or if they are like in solar, there's no way to turn it on, turn it off per se, um, a lot of it will just get dissipated into the atmosphere. So we'll lose that energy that we were able to capture. And so one of the things I think is starting to think about how do we we actually have a much more efficient electric grid that we'd be able to have better storage of these things. And I've even said we need to put our recycling centers right next to these uh, green like solar farms or wind farms because that's a place that could take advantage of the energy as much energy as they can produce simply because like you said we we do 4 pounds of garbage a day so there's there's lots of things that we could do to generate that and we're not contributing negatively back meaning we have a lot of we have a lot of polluting or carbon or anything like that going into the atmosphere we are just using what we naturally created to actually power this process So we're actually able to shrink the overall energy footprint, even if it's not as efficient on doing some of these plastics and things like that. Mm. And, and so it's stop. I mean, one of the things that I know that people do, and this is, this is again, part of, part of how business is business, but it really needs to be connecting these pieces together, like connecting the power generation with the recycling, because those things can then work together to, have less of an impact and then we're able to get a lot more good out of it Um, but again like our these solar farms and everything are typically pretty far away from cities i know that the closest wind farm to seattle is uh, on the other side of the cascade mountains so it takes about an hour and a half two hours to drive there by car if you wanted to so transporting waste all the way to the other side of the mountains you'd have
0: metro metro renewables Right, right. <laughs> you know, I, you know. Hearing, I mean, clearly, you've given us so much thought, Sean. So, you know, when you when you think about about this challenge, and to me, you know, the sustainability challenge is probably, you know, the biggest challenge we face as a planet for the next hundred years, two hundred years. Mm. Um, it's existential, ultimately, and I know we're just we're, we're using you know, garbage as a microcosm of that challenge. When when you think about it, you know. You know imagine if you could do anything how, how would you go about trying to or what have you seen out there that people are working on or have built or technology that's available out there or strategies you've you've seen out there how, how would you how would you look at how you how, how should you structure a program to create a world
1: without garbage yeah I, I I have thought about that and I've also thought about you know trying to solve. The other problem, where I believe that that kind of initiative, is also something that could be incredibly profitable. Okay. Which is, I think, an important aspect of this. So hold on, hold on, hold on. So you, so,
0: the reason why you, I just want to clarify. So the reason why you think it's so important for that to be profitable is because it's only if it's profitable we end up doing more of it, and we need that, we need that momentum effect to, Correct. for it to be profitable. So it's so that we do more of it, and by doing more of it, we heal the planet.
1: Right. And, and, you know, in my jokes, I'll say we heal the planet in spite of ourselves. In spite, yeah, that's right. We're, <laughs> sure, as
0: we're sure as they're struggling to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, without, without thinking of it that way. So what would you do? How would you look at the program then? How do you look at that?
1: So, so I, I would start, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, it's kind of, a, I view it in three phases. Um, and and I'll get to the, when I get to the second phase. This was actually one of the big things that 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 sent me off on this uh, on this thought process. But uh, the first phase would really, like I said, get updating the recycling technology. We have a lot more that we can do mechanically and with computers than we could when a lot of these technologies were fo- first put into place. I, I equate it to, you know, when I went to college, I had an HP calculator and it was interesting because i had more computing power in my hand then and it's a, or even if you think about your phones today you have infinitely more computing power in your hands than what we sent to the moon yeah and so the, the it's a, it's an opportunity to really take advantage of the technological advances or the additional capabilities technology has given us and it gives us this thing where we can do better analysis we can do better real-time thinking about okay i'm looking at something having a machine being able to determine what it is i'm looking at and then and then having a decision tree that says okay well this is a this is a metal of some sort let me just route it over to metals and then we can further refine it or this is a plastic let's go here let's do uh you know some sort of spectrography on it and say hey this is a number seven plastic or sure. this is a number two plastic so this is like the, this like. is like the predecessor for wally Kind of, yeah. I think Wally, Wally's interesting movie that I've used a couple of times in a lot of because it's a, it is an absolutely fascinating movie in so many different dimensions. But, um, but yes, it, it is. It, it's it's a pre, it's a predecessor to it because again, the funny part is is my my daughter when she was helping me uh, design robots that could help out with this process, she called it Wally because it's essentially something that sifts the garbage. So it would be uh, so. But so my daughter will have a hand if I ever build the machine
0: so when you say upgrading this i, I you know I, I want to ask you when you think about this phase phase one upgrading mm-hmm. recycling technology you know and, and and get better at identifying sorting sifting various types of plastic metal precious materials whatever it may be mm-hmm. um, in your mind because uh, you're closer to it than I am I mean is the technology out there? we're just not deploying it that way because the economic case hasn't hasn't doesn't stack up yet, or is it we have to invent a whole bunch of new stuff that just doesn't exist right now or some
1: version of both? The technology is out there okay. there's definitely a a level of invention that would be there um and then ultimately the the money is not necessarily there to do it and it's not there to do it at scale um where it can be it can be somewhat profitable or it can be viable for a a business to put into place and be able to pay for it. Um, You know, there's, there's things that, and there's examples like that. You can see all through waste management and things um, in landfills dealing with the methane that comes off of landfills. There's one, there's one company in the United States that makes the cleaning agent and they are heavily subsidized by the government. Um, And their agent is incredibly expensive because they can't scale it. They don't have the money.
0: They can't scale the production to scale it. They can't scale the production. And what does it do, to that chemical?
1: Uh, What it does is a lot of the methane from the rotting, the organic material coming out of landfills is very, very dirty. And what it is is it's a cleaning agent. So when it comes out, it becomes usable for fuel. So that you could use um, as a fuel and things like that. It starts by just driving big old PVC pipes right down into a landfill And those become your wellheads, and then they clean it and then uh, resell the fuel on the open market. So
0: that's upgrading recycling tech. But I'm guessing all the the, um, sort of visual recognition, the ability to detect different types of metals and plastics, that must be all
1: there, right? I mean, like invented. Yeah, it's all there. The ability to do it is all there. We just have to tell the machines what to do and how to detect, right? There's just markers that we'll see um, that can do it. But yeah, all that technology is there. Okay. It's absolutely there. All right. Phase 2. And then we roll into phase 2 and what phase 2 is 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 building the what, you know, what's what we've called the recycling center of the future. It's taking that tech and deploying it and start really starting to leverage it to to have more efficient recycling. And this also I mean, let me say as we put that in, a big problem that needs to be solved is contamination. And so that's where we would be inventing things. That's where we, and this this would be probably much more of a mechanical process than anything else on how we actually start inventing ways of solving the contamination problem. Because ultimately, just afford me one little tangent, this whole process starts with us. And we're the ones generating the the garbage or the waste or the recycling. And it all depends on our on how much work we need to do. And, you know, people are busy and I don't, I don't hold any judgment or anything. Like I said, the rules in Seattle change every year. And like this year we can put the caps on the milk and put it in recycling. Whereas last year we couldn't, or, you know, those types of things. Yeah. They're quite small and they're easy to forget. Exactly. And in a pinch, everybody knows that you can just throw it in the garbage, in the landfill. Yeah. Right. And so And if we make the rules too cumbersome, and yeah, that's perfect, perfect word. If there's too much friction in the process, then people aren't going to want to solve it. I mean, I've seen lots of people try to solve it many different ways, even like putting cameras on top of the cans. And then the one, like it'll detect that you have a napkin, so it'll light up compost or it sees a can and it'll light up recycling, trying to tell you which can to put it in to just help out. But um, ultimately, I think we need to figure out ways of, of... that not even being a thing where I can just take a garbage can, dump it on a conveyor belt and the machine sort it out and we're able to figure it out. Um, But in phase two, it's more about recycling, upgrading the recycling technology to a point to where we're deploying all of this tech we did in phase one, having a much more efficient process and able to really kind of, and with that efficiency, we're able to, to have a much better outcome on top of on what's getting recycled versus what needs to go to a landfill? Uh, rough numbers I saw last year was twenty percent of all recyclables actually get recycled, and then is that, um, is that all? You know, trying to push that number up. Gosh, Question somewhere for, between twenty and twenty-two percent.
0: Who who are the big players in this space? Like who's working this? Like the recycling center of the future? I mean, are they are they are this, you know significant companies or or or, or um, no, agencies no, working? No, no, there
1: isn't. I wouldn't say there's significant companies, um, you know, and I feel horrible because I cannot remember their name. Um, I was talking to them last year, but there is there is a place here in Seattle that I've been talking to that actually do manufacturing of recycling equipment. And so I had talked to them about, hey, if I were to come up with a new algorithm or we were to come up with something new trying to just understand cost on what it would cost to get like just a prototype of a machine put together using some of the processes they have but they're a very small outfit there's there's and they're the only ones at least in the Seattle area and the Seattle Tacoma area I've been able to really find that do this type of thing so otherwise it would just be a, a what I call a file new where we just have to start from scratch and yeah the arc welders. I out. think it
0: says something about it says something about the world we're living in, right? That that doesn't seem like you can't do a simple Google and come up with the top ten vendors building building that. Right. What you've, you've what you describe the recycling center of the future. I, I find that quite interesting. I mean, It says something. It must be a really difficult challenge, right? Or a really expensive one. Is. One or the other, right? It's an I mean, expensive
1: it's, one, without a doubt.
0: And it's not what you would it, call sexy. Correct. Um, correct. Sending someone on the moon. Or shoving a roadster into into orbit seems like more fun than than a recycling center yeah. that um, <laughs> it's a shame.
1: <laughs> it is a shame, isn't it? But, <laughs> but so so here's a way to make it sexy, right? And this is something that that has been tried and the challenge is is not for the faint of heart, but a view that I have is if I if I'm able to build this new sort of this new type of recycling, this recycling center of the future, the to me the success of phase two in this plan is to is to mobilize it, and th- this was one of the things that that I really I'm really pumped up about because I think we could do it. Is I want to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and I know that there's been a number of people who have gone out to do this and try it, uh, and there's a couple of reasons. One. And this gets into the profitability aspect,
0: Sean. Before you go there, before you go there, before you go there, there's people out there who won't know what the Great Pacific
1: oh, okay. Garbage Patch is. So the oceans, so I will. So the what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is is um, it's an area within... an. Every ocean actually has one. So the Pacific, Indian, Atlantic, and Arctic, they all have one because it's the way the currents meet together, and there's points in the middle of the oceans where they meet, and all the things that get thrown off of your cruise ships, you know, people who are like the transport ships transporting goods, they just dump all their garbage overboard. Or if things just get thrown into the ocean, they get picked up by the currents and they all tend to congregate in these areas where these currents meet. And the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is a massive space in the Pacific Ocean. Where all this garbage has come to meet, and it's been there for so long. There's actually, it's actually, you could almost make, you could make the argument that it's its own ecosystem at this point because it's been there for so long. Um, but and it's also polluting all the fish around it and everything else. Yeah. And and if you if you venture uh, if you venture another Google, go go look up Henderson Island in the Pacific. It's uh, by volume, it's one of the most it is I believe it is the most polluted. Space on the planet, uh, with the density of plastics that get come up on its shores, um, and so there's there's people who go there all the time to try to clean up the plastics and things like that, and that's typically what's in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yeah. So you were saying you were saying making that making that sexy, making it sexy because one I think cleaning up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch in and of itself would be sexy, getting the ocean cleaned up, getting trying to, to reduce the, the how significant of an impact we have on, um, on the oceans themselves. And at the same time, it's in international waters, and I checked with a friend of mine, an attorney, and I said, if I were to go and get plastics from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, is it mine? Can I keep it? It's in international waters, presumably. It it's an in international waters. You water, might be a pirate, though, presumably. It, it, I'm sure I would I would think so because they've also, now some of the tech that I think is really interesting out there because there's been so much work around the Great Pacific Garbage Patches that now I can take a piece of plastic from there and then I can take it and have it DNA fingerprinted, if you will, and it'll tell me it's country of origin. Oh, really? Um, so you can see where this plastic comes from. So, I mean, there's just ama- amazing amounts of data that, uh, that you can pull from that. But ultimately, for me, it would be clean it all up, and then take take the recyclables that are whatever we can get out of it and be able to then resell those back on the open market. Like go through some industrial, like an industrial process that takes the plastic and gets it back into the beads, which uh, you can sell back into uh, everything but food grade plastics, I believe. And, but that, to me, that would be sexy to have have an army of drone ships that go out to clean up the the garbage patches in every ocean, and then start looking at ways of making that profitable by being able to resell the recycled materials back onto the open market. And so that's, to me, that's where we're starting to get sexy.
0: And that then g- generates the whole uh, whole sort of recyclable clothing, recyclable reuse of plastics, recyclable- Correct. They basically get the re- raw materials back. Correct. You know what I'm thinking, as you say that, You know I'm thinking about one of those James Bond movies where they had that ship within a ship and the ship opens up from the hull and it scoops up. It scoops up smaller ships. So I'm imagining like a gigantic recycling. Yeah. Actually, we've got to do something with these cruise ships that can't be cruise ships anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. But, but the idea <laughs> basically, the idea basically being to, to scoop up and have the recycling or rebeading' is I think the phrase you used,
1: mm-hmm. um, all happen en route or from yeah. route. And you've got, and, and again, right, Another another mission would be maritime fuels, like if we're talking about petroleum maritime diesel, is one of the biggest pollutants on the planet. So again, we would have to follow a much more, you know, we're again, we're not trying to add to, we're trying to take lessen the impact, not increase. So the drone ships, maybe they would be running off of solar, they would be running off something that was much more renewable. Instead of trying to run off maritime fuels, they're drone ships, so nobody's on board in the, in the perfect world, right? Nobody's on board. So it may take a week to get there, a month to get there. It's not like people are bored waiting for something to happen, right? Yeah. They're just out there doing their thing. So in my mind, that's, that's really starting to get to that point of, of marrying two things. One, we're cleaning up the world. Actually, it's three things. We're cleaning up the world. We're able to... Make a. We're able to get raw materials back onto the open market and reuse what we've already, we've already used once, and then three, turn a profit on this so that we can fund future phases or the next phase, if you will, of of getting all of these things done, of of how we go to the next phase. because landfills are the big one. Landfills are definitely the big one for me. That's kind of my. That's my Everest, if you will. If we can get to a point where we are realistically able to start recycling and reclaiming materials out of landfills, that, that would be huge. Because that's where I, that's where I would say, And well, what do I think is sexy about that? Is I say I have the, the hypothesis that we have no need to mine another metal out of the earth if we can find a better way of managing what we have in our landfills, we don't need to take any more. I mean, well, I'll expand it. We don't need to take any more materials from the earth because they're, they're already there. They're already there in landfills. We've already done it. We've done it for hundreds, thousands of years, and so we don't need to take any more. And and I mentioned. I, I remember Vips, you and I were talking, and I mentioned this to you, and and it was the it was one of the most inspirational things I had heard in a while. And it was one of the most least talked about things from Tesla's battery day. They had a few weeks ago, which the one thing that they slid under the radar and, you know, in their, in their quest to fix battery density and to be able to replace every car in the United States with an EV with an electric vehicle using their new battery tech. They also said that in recycling of the old batteries, they would no longer need to mine iron, cobalt, or nickel anymore. And that's a huge statement to make. Um, when you think about, you know, think about just the dirtiness of the mining process and what the mining process sure. is. Um, you know, there's a reason why uh Toyota Prius has a carbon footprint of a Hummer three, right? It's it's because the co- yeah, the cost to make it. The cost it of making them. those batteries is, is huge. And so to be able to to hit that point where they don't need to mine any more metals once they're able to hit this three terawatt hour goal or whatever battery capacity um, is is amazing. And that's what I believe. If we can have better management of our waste, we are already there. We do not need to mine anymore. We just need to have a better way of of, of managing it. And and this is where if I if I'm gonna take it, you know, you, you know my vision, and you mentioned Mr. Fusion earlier, which I think uh, you know, the, again the most incredible invention uh, from the Back to the Future series. Oh come on, the, the hover the hovering. Hoverboards are pretty cool. Come on, those those were pretty, new, but, but <laughs> probably not as profound. But to get they to get one point twenty one gigawatts out of a banana. I don't know. That, that that's a, I don't know, Might be a tie. But um, you know the 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 idea of you know we we take it down to science and we take it down to first law of thermodynamics, right? And I hope I hope I got these right. I know there's a few laws of thermodynamics, but uh, basically says that if I have enough pressure and temperature, I can break up all the materials into the periodic table of elements if I want to. Um, There's a lot of things that I know a lot of chemical companies, and there's a lot of chemical processes that leverage this in order to get things to clean out or to, you know, basically to be able to manufacture a lot of the things that, that we use. They use this process, but why can't we do it with the waste? So imagine if, we have a whole bunch of plastic and metal and whatever thrown into a, a, a pail. And we we, we have it in a, in a vat or a bin where we're able to control the temperature and pressure inside that, that bin. And then have, okay, now we've got the carbon is going to go this way. And the iron is going to go this way. And the copper is going to go this way. And so what we wind up with is these 250-something vats of periodic table of the elements. And then what do we and then where Mr. Fusion comes in is we have this concept of what, I, what I've called a 3D fusion printer, where I can just punch in the what materials do I want to actually manufacture and then it will go through and create it. It'll create oak. it'll create a pl- it'll create a plastic. It'll create whatever I want using fusion. And then if we're able to accomplish that, the energy, coming off of that fusion process could also fix the negative energy problem that I talked about earlier. Meaning if I'm able to generate, if I'm actually able to do this level of fusion, the energy that'll come off of that process could power everything else. And if we can do that, then that would then enable us to no longer have garbage because now I can take a can of whatever you please dump it on a conveyor belt and what comes out of it is raw materials to build your house. And that starts to become, because then what we're talking about is, again, pushing raw materials back onto the open market, reusing what we already have. And if we're able to do that at a national level or even on a global level someday, probably not in my lifetime, but at a global <laughs> level someday, then we're also able to drive the cost of goods down for everybody across the planet. So it you know, it, it just seems like that there's this yeah. virtuous cycle that we can create by having a better management of our waste. That's so cool.
0: I love the way you, uh, you told that story all the way through. I'm kind of conscious. I'm not sure we hit your third phase and there's someone going to be listening to this and they're going to be like, well, I know my phase one. I know my phase two, which is building a better recycling center. What was your phase three? Mm-hmm.
1: Phase three is going to be the landfills. It's the landfills. Okay. The, that's the landfills. And and you know I've talked to some folks in, you know, in 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 the oil and gas industry because in a lot of ways they're the ones who have the money to do the research and development. And the what I have heard is that we're still probably about ten years away from a fusion process. Um, but that's still only ten years away, right? So I'm that that's really exciting, um, thinking about that the viability of something like that because uh, you know the energy companies they're also looking at okay how can we how can we sh- do the transition from oil to electric right because that's that's the trend mm-hmm. that we're seeing in terms mm-hmm. of our vehicles and so it's not just our vehicles right i mean it's everything isn't it everything yeah. yeah even in the cyber truck that tesla put out there they've got a an electric four-wheeler right an atv that'll that'll be an option for it's not the about
0: you i think it's really ugly I, it's, it's doing nothing. you know
1: for me. yeah that, that that's a hot you know <laughs> I'm at that, there's that meme where I'm, it's like, you know, I think it's really ugly. It's not so bad. It's kind of growing on me and it's really cool. I'm on the, almost it's really cool uh, to the point where I convinced my wife to let me put a, a pre-order. Oh, did you really? I did. Yeah. For the truck?
0: For the truck. I'd never have guessed. I'd never it's take, it's... I, I figured you more for a Model 3, Model S kind of character. I didn't figure you oh. for a truck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I want a truck that's awesome uh, yeah but. that's really cool so you know you're, you're you're when you you know so there's gonna be people who are on listening to this and they're gonna be like well that sounds like that sounds like um utopia what you described there in terms of that kind mm-hmm. of that fusion based virtuous cycle breaking things down into their so element components and being able to effectively reconstruct anything when you need to i mean we're talking well, that that to me sounds seriously sci-fi how seriously
1: mm-hmm. sci-fi are we talking about here I don't believe it's as sci-fi. Now, let me take a step back from from all the way all the way to that fusion cycle that's there. But I think just having the ability to go and get the metals out of the landfill is it'd be a huge step, right? There's there's obviously a lot of there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't have people people would not be doing that, right? Because it's just not there's there's a whole lot of reasons why it's not safe, but Um, The ability to go in and just get the metals out. I mean, just thinking about how much copper, how much of all the metals that are in there. I think that would be a huge win um, in that respect. I mean, it's going to be a very phased process on how we go in and are able to do that to get to a point to where it is this virtuous cycle where garbage trucks pull up to a building and just dump things into a bin and then they go on about their business and there's no more, no longer a concept of a landfill. Um, I, I can definitely see how that's utopia because it's just It's so far away from anything we've done for ten thousand years. It, it is, it is, and so it's, and I, and it, like I said, it, it's probably, you know, not something that is going to happen, you know, I don't know, in the next fifty years. Just because it's just a lot of change. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that have to happen in order to get there. But it's about getting us on the right path to being able to manage that waste. Because, again, you know, our, our process doesn't seem to be scaling. Because if we look at the overall environmental impact and we see all the different impacts we're having on, on the environment, it just doesn't seem to scale. And, and, you know, in my lifetime, the population of the, of the Earth has doubled mm. once. And it's my understanding that it will double again before, before I leave. And so it's, and so, you know, we're starting to have this problem of scale. And so we've got to have a better way of managing it because eventually there's not going to be enough holes that we can dig. Um, You know, I think of Star Wars, think of the the planet Coruscant, right? Yeah. It was basically a planet that was one big city. Well, landfills don't scale in that kind of a world. So we need to think about better ways of managing it. That's awesome.
0: Well, wow, sure. That was that was so so much fun. Um, it that was what I call a fabulous big idea, and uh, that's kind of what we want to do in this series. We want to we want to take these you know ideas that sound, you know, maybe a little bit science fiction, maybe a little bit too far out. But these are if we don't if we don't start thinking about some of these ideas, you know, it's it's from these it's from these from our imagination and our creativity that we find. Um, solutions that will ultimately change the world and it's just great it's great working with sean and just um uh, it was a treat for me and for you to hear just how much thought he's gone has gone into um everything he shared with us today um we're going to come back we're going to do another one we've got we got four or five of these um big ideas and so um yeah we're going to do another one we're going to probably do do one of these every month or so and uh we're putting them out on this podcast but thank you all for listening and everyone don't forget be fabulous